Hey everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get t-shirts, you can get caps, you can get coffee mugs, you can get hoodies, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the borrower with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. Hello and welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Double A Team, our very first edition of 2020. Actually, no, our second edition of 2022. <laughs> to be with you, uh, Stephen Nagishi is my co-host. Stephen, great to be on with you again. Thank you, Ken. Great to be with you as always. We had a hell of a weekend with the uh, oh, wow. playoffs. My yes, yes, we certainly did. Uh, four great games. It's one of the reasons why we love the NFL. Uh, four walk-off wins, three road teams that actually went uh, went through, two number one seeds that went by the wayside. We will talk about all that in our last segment, of course, when we wrap up and talk about the NFL. I think we have a lot of things to talk about uh, in that segment, Stephen. But uh, tonight we have two interesting guests. And, Stephen, why don't you tell us who we have tonight? Okay. Our first guest will be Harrison Graham, who is a, a YouTube uh, sport chat host like us. But uh, he's on the uh, channel called Chat Sports. Uh, some of the Bears fans might know that uh, he does a lot of Bears commentary on his channel. Uh, he also used to be a host, uh, sometimes a fill-in host, for ESPN uh, 103.3 FM in Dallas. Uh, that unfortunately uh, ceased its ex- uh, sorry it ceased its uh, operations uh, during the COVID time. Uh, I used to listen to him along with a host of others on that radio show when I was living in Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, he was gracious enough to come to our show to talk about the uh, the Bears head coaching and general manager search, among other things. And our second guest, um, this is a very uh, guest that uh, I've been trying to get on since our show officially launched. Uh, he is a YouTuber himself, uh, PFFA uh, football writer, uh, also a YouTuber called The Beast Rider. Uh, he is Ryan Sakamoto out of Bay Area. Uh, we can talk about the Bears, the 49ers, which obviously is going to the NFC Championship, as well as uh, his uh, background in living in uh, Bay Area in times of uh, uh, AAPI racism at an all-time high, especially in those regions as well. And there you see Ryan over there. We look forward to having both those guests upcoming here on the double a team. And uh, it's going to be another fantastic show, another football heavy show, but again, football is King, uh, especially the NFL here uh, on the double a team. Let's start off uh, with our, with our uh, opening segment. As usual, we talk about some of the interesting things that are going on in the news and interesting going on with the Asian community as well. But let's start off with the Australian open. Um, Novak Djokovic uh, was, didn't play. We thought that we thought a couple of, uh, as we were going to tape our first show, it looked like he was going to play. However, um, he was originally the uh, uh, the prime minister, Scott Morrison, tried to kick him out 
But then that did not happen. Uh, a, a federal judge ruled that he could actually uh, didn't have enough time to appeal the the being um, uh, being uh, expelled from uh, Australia and have his visa taken out. I'm sorry, my my dog Samson has decided to come along uh, come along here as well. Um, but also, um, we also had uh, him being uh, then eventually uh, on appeal did not go his way. So he was basically taken out and uh, uh, expelled from uh, and, and deported from Australia uh, a couple of, uh, you know, days just before the Open began. Since that has happened, of course, uh, Naomi Osaka, who has been one of our uh, rooting interests, she did. She got eliminated in the third round, uh, continuing, unfortunately, uh since what's happened during the Olympics uh, about her uh, issues with mental health. Um, she has uh, had some issues. She hasn't been playing up to the level that she's been, been uh, as usual. But uh, Stephen, uh, let's talk about those two issues. First, uh, Novak Djokovic and then uh, Naomi Osaka. Absolutely. So, you know, Djokovic has obviously uh, been one of the uh, athletes who obviously has had some issues with uh, getting vaccinated. Um, you know, I don't want to use the term vax or anti-vax uh, too easily, but uh, obviously he falls in the um, the latter category. Um, he's been out uh, in um, uh, rather vicariously. He also got a COVID, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so he has been That's a... Right. Uh, you know, a poster boy for, you know, criticism, you know, Djokovic, a.k.a. Joker. You know, it's other than COVID, I know he has made a lot of bones about women's uh, money earnings, equality, as well as the uh, the media uh, sessions when Naomi Osaka uh, was dealing with her mental issues, if I'm not mistaken. So Djokovic put himself on the back, you know, with the target for criticism uh, when it comes to the things that I just mentioned. And it's kind of ironic that, uh, you know, he blamed it on his agent's uh, shoddy paperwork uh, when this uh, happened. And uh, now he faces uh, deportation and the possibility of not being able to play in any other uh, major tennis, uh, major, I'm sorry, Grand Slam tennis, except for Wimbledon, and then chances are he might be expelled from Australia after this uh, fiasco. So this is not a good look for him. And uh, you know, who knows how many sponsors after this tiff is going to uh, stand behind him. But you know, considering what happened with Tiger Woods, Nike, and among others who stood by him, I'm sure that uh, probably these uh, uh, sponsors, endorsers they're probably going to think long and hard ha, ha, excuse me long and hard whether they want to stand by Djokovic if they still think that it is worth it and they see uh, a big payoff like what happened with uh, Tiger when he won the uh, Masters uh, 2 years ago absolutely and uh, that's one thing that's uh, Stephen, that uh, I'm I've been very uh, critical of, of, no, of Novak Djokovic for his uh, failure to be forthcoming. I mean, he, he did have COVID uh, at an event before he went to the Australian Open. Um, he wasn't very forthcoming with, uh, with Australian authorities. And 
there is a possibility with this latest um, uh, failure of the appeal that he could not be uh, allowed to enter the uh, Australia for about three years. So we'll see if the, how that comes about. Um, of course, uh, he's a big draw for the Australian Open. Fans do like him. There were people outside the ho- the hotel door. He was being, I don't want to say detained, but uh, being um, where he stayed uh, yeah. during the time in between the, his appeal. And he was uh, he was put there, uh, put up there by by the Australian authorities, uh, along with other refugees who ha- who were not allowed to really quote unquote enter the country. They were being held there, uh, mm-hmm. some held for se- several months. But we'll see how that's how this goes. So. Um, as far as, uh, you know, Novak Djokovic is concerned, as you mentioned, I don't think he's going to lose sponsorships. Uh, I don't think he's going to be uh, penalized too hard. But the fact that he may not be able to go to Wimbledon because, again, that's a vaccinate. That's a whole thing about vaccinations. The French Open is also very hard on vaccinations and the U.S. Open. So he may not be playing any of the Grand Slam tournaments at all, Stephen. So that's something we have to watch uh, throughout, throughout the year. I thought UK was very lax in that uh, sense. Uh, mm-hmm. So Wimbledon, he might be that. That might be the only thing that uh, he might be able to participate. Mm-hmm. Well, Wimbledon, I think, has its own uh, has its own oh, standards. Okay. But um, I believe that um, we'll see if he's able to go to that. I know France is very strict. Uh, right. The U.S. Open is strict about it. New York has been strict about uh, its standards as well. Um, of course, Omicron numbers are going down in New York right now, but I still think that it, they'll still require anybody going into New York to be vaccinated or getting their, their booster shot, uh, whether it's going to be a third or fourth booster sh- down the line. So I, I'm uh, whether Djokovic is going to be playing uh, in the Grand Slams at all is going to be a big question in 2022. Absolutely. And uh, we'll talk about Naomi Osaka now. She made, his, she made her return to tennis. And, um, you know, obviously she lost in the third round. Uh, she hasn't played much at all. Uh, but, um, you know, she's got a long road ahead of her in trying to get back to the top because um, women's tennis, there's always a young star always coming up uh, every year. And, um, you know, even though she's 23, 24 years old, you know, that's somewhat of a, you know, an old age, you know, in the, uh, the tennis world, uh, especially on the women's side. Um, she did show some, um, you know, maturity handling questions uh, after, you know, during the tournament. I know she got lost, but uh, obviously it sounded like she was telling herself that it's okay and that, uh, you know, she's going to have to learn how to handle losing like a mature person, but, you know, as competitive as, uh, you know, an athlete that she is in any sports, we see a lot of athletes from all over the world throw tantrums, lose their cool many, many times. So, you know, hopefully she will regain her composure, uh, be more mature. And, uh, you know, I'd like to see her, you know, get back to the top once again. Yeah, we both would. And uh, it's been a rocky road for her, especially since she had that meteoric rise to the top and became the number one uh, seated player in the world. Um, She's won her share of Grand Slam tournaments. She's also had her shares of down moments, especially in the last couple of years. Uh, The Olympics, especially also at at Wimbledon, not being able to play at Wimbledon last year uh, and the French Open. So we certainly hope the best for Naomi uh, coming up in 2022 and certainly hopes that uh, she's going to be able to uh, bounce back from uh, f- from 
her setbacks that she's had over the last year and a half. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the second uh, topic that I wanted to discuss um, was uh, it's obviously somewhat different from what all of us are used to talking about. This was kind of interesting. The, uh, uh, the WWE, you know, World Wrestling Entertainment, they had a bit of a news uh, this, uh, this past week. Um, one was a, um, an NXT wrestler named, formerly known as Walter, who's uh, from Austria. Um, and I think he was called up to the, uh, the main uh, brand, I believe, uh, Raw. Yes. And um, WWE, for some reason, they decided to name him Gunther, which came from apparently from the trademark uh, Gunther Stark, who used to be a uh, Nazi war general or, you know, like a submarine general, from what I uh, what I believe. Uh, as our producer, Aldo, posted the uh, link from uh, Deadspin, WWE veered close to Nazism last night. Now, this was actually... Um, brought attention to many wrestling outlets. Now, it's easy because, you know, Austria speaks, you know, their uh, country of language is uh, German. Um, and we all some, somehow associate that with uh, Nazism and stuff like that, even in this day and age. Um, so this is somewhat of a, a shocking. But maybe we shouldn't be shocked by WWE's history when it comes to you know, race issues uh, and the treatment of uh, the wrestlers of color historically. And then WWE decided to do some cheap route in promoting a, uh, a guy who happens to be from Austria, German-speaking country, into uh, a hulking big guy who has dominated the NXT UK scene as a, some sort of a Nazi guy, which I thought it was, it was in poor taste. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I know that uh, this is the wrestling always, always likes to push the envelope. Um, we've seen in the 80s. Uh, I remember I know people remember the uh, Netflix show Glow, but it was actually a, an actual organization, the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. And mm -hmm. they actually had a character who was who was uh, showed the symbol of the South African neo-Nazi party. And, you know, of course, it was different in that day and age. There wasn't as much. Uh, outrage on it, as, 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 but it was more treated as a joke. But of course, now in this day and age, uh, and I don't want to hear things about being woke or cancel culture, but I think this is something you would think the WWE would be a little bit more sensitive to. Um, they're trying to be a, a little bit uh, better in regards to their culture, uh, trying to treat women better instead of sex objects, which they have done in the past with their female wrestlers and their managers. Um, they're trying to show more athleticism. But here they are going into this and, and naming a character, Gunther Stark, which who was uh, a World War II commander in the Nazi uh, for the Nazis. So it's very it, it's something that you would think they would know better, especially with the people who work for them, especially uh, with Stephanie McMahon, who is a vice president in the company and, and, and head of marketing. Uh, and the women that, that are working and working up in the company as well. So you would think that the WWE would be a little bit more sensitive into this in this issue, but uh, apparently not. No, not, not at all. And uh, obviously, like you said, they've always pushed the envelope when it comes to the uh, you know, portrayal of, uh, 
you know, the wrestlers of color. I remember Sergeant Slaughter and uh, in the 80s, 90s, you know, when the Gulf War was at its height. Uh, mm -hmm. I forgot the name of the wrestler that he aligned himself with, but, you know, obviously that was a very, very unpopular. Um, and then there's a, another article that uh, I also wanted to share. Uh, there was a wrestler by the name of Mustafa Ali, who's also a WWE uh, wrestler, who also happens to be, I believe, a former police uh, officer. He began his career as a police officer in the Chicago area, or at least in the state of Illinois. And um, he recently requested his release from WWE in case if any wrestlers, uh, you know, who follow, who are watching this show, you know, the WWE has had a lot of wrestlers released uh, in recent uh, months or even, even dating back to last year. And it's not just basically just COVID related issues as well. So in his case, um, there was a report that he and uh, Vince McMahon had a real uh, backstage heat argument about the direction of his character. Um, uh, although if you don't mind going all the way down to this page on Sports Kida, uh, he posted a, a Twitter uh, on tweet. That's this a photo of his uh, Instagram recently. He gave birth to his son while he was away. This is what he originally wanted to portray himself as a sort of a new America. Um, Although, please uh, click that button and uh, play what he was, uh, what, what, I'm sorry, what his character should have been. Good evening, America. Tonight, I need to discuss something of the utmost importance to our great nation. Something that I have personally been striving for my entire life. And that is acceptance. You see, despite being born here in the United States of America, every day I have to prove to you that I belong. So I, uh, I didn't correct you when you would mispronounce my name because I didn't want you to feel embarrassed. I was mindful of the clothes that I wore because I didn't want you to think I look suspicious. I lowered my head and said nothing when you would make jokes about what I look like or where I might be from. I did all of this with the hopes that one day you would look at me and see your fellow American. But you didn't. And the truth is, you never will. And despite my greatest efforts to fix this problem, I realize this is a problem that I cannot fix. But I can overcome it. And I will do just that. I will do that by launching a campaign for a new America. You see, in this new America, it is your name that is just too hard to hear. It is you that looks suspicious. It is you that I do not accept. It is you that does not belong here. In this new America, there is nothing more American than someone that looks like me. So to anyone out there, 
that feels like a stranger in their own home. I want you to reach out. Take my hand. Believe that in Ali, you can trust. Thank you. Good night. And God bless our new America. That would have been a very interesting storyline had uh, him and uh, Tony Khan, who is also a media officer at WWE, and Vince decided to go into that. But, of course, uh, we will never know. As uh, as you mentioned, Mustafa Ali is trying to get out of his contract at the, the WWE and perhaps maybe go elsewhere. So we'll see what happens with that. But it's a very it would have been very interesting to see if we if, if that storyline would have how, how that would have been popular with the fans and how that would have been treated on Raw. I think you muted yourself, Stephen. Myself, apologies. And it does hit me hard or hit hit some of us, you know, who are minorities in this country, probably. It may resonate with it to some degree. You know, Mustafa Ali is a, uh, like I said, a Muslim a background, a former police officer in the Chicago area. And uh, he was basically calling out, obviously, People who don't uh, respect him, uh, his heritage and background, and that uh, he's had enough of that. So the new America uh, angle obviously was very, very interesting. It would have been somewhat controversial, obviously, because it would have pissed off a lot of, uh, you know, maybe the, uh, you know, the white Americans uh, who have uh, come to enjoy wrestling, obviously. It, you know, way back when, and, uh, you know, the territory territorial days, you know, before WWE uh, emerged, you know, which was WWF back then. And, uh, you know, the, the portrayal of obviously people like Mustafa Ali as some sort of a terrorist or terrorism mm -hmm. obviously have been done in the early 2000s before, uh, unfortunately. And then also, like I mentioned, Sergeant Slaughter realigning with, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Muslim, you know, the uh, Muslim character, you know, fighting against, um, you know, Hulk Hogan, you know, the, the, the American hero. Mm -hmm. So obviously WWE has always used uh, racial uh, profiling, racial card, whatever you want to call it to that advantage. And, and I'm sure Mustafa Ali thought that uh, this was his way of enhancing, you know, who he is. Uh, but also wanted to, you know, to send out a message to the, the country that we are, you know, the very contentious times that we live in. But we never know, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, somebody like him, we definitely would like to have down the road, whether he's still on with the WWE or not, you know, whether he's a free agent or whatever. You know, uh, this is something that uh, bears watching going forward. Absolutely. And uh, and something we'll be to keep discussing here on the double A team. Uh, as we go on, uh, coming up next, we're going to bring in our first guest. He's, his name is going to be Harrison Graham. He's going to he's a uh, formerly a, a talk show host in Dallas, and we'll bring him in talk about the NFL. That's called coming up next here on the Double A Team. What was the toughest group for you to to break into? Was it you know owners? Was it other team executives? Was it the agents? Was it the players? I mean, where did you find the obstacles? 
Well, I'll answer that in a few ways. Uh, you are absolutely right. When I went to my first league meeting, I was the only woman in the room. Uh, so look, look, for many of the people listening to this, they weren't even born when I started my career. I started with the Raiders in the early part of the mid-80s as an intern, and shortly thereafter, also in the mid-80s on a full-time basis. And I went to that first league meeting, and I was the only woman in the room. Uh, but I received a lot of support from a lot of the team owners in that room, men like Lamar Hunt and Wellington Mira and Ralph Wilson, to name a few. Oh, oh and atop the list, Dan Rooney. Um, they, and I should have named Dan first. You know, this was at a time I joined the Raiders when Al was involved in a legal dispute with the league. The league had sued the Raiders. Al had counterclaimed. I joined the organization. And, and the reason I note that is these men that I just named, Dan Rooney, Lamar Hunt, Wellington Mara, Ralph Wilson, they were adverse to Al in that litigation. But from the moment I entered that room, they offered me their support and their encouragement, and they did so for all the years we interacted. As to players, I never, over the course of almost 30 years, had any experience with a player in which I sensed any resentment on, on anyone's part or any opposition based on my gender. My experience with players was they wanted to know, how are you helping make us a better team? How are you contributing to help us win? And if one was contributing in that regard, that was great by way of players. Was there opposition to me based on my gender? Of course there was. Did I care? Not one bit. And we're back on the double A team. Of course, uh, great promo there for Peggy Kaczynski's uh, show. And of course, we've seen her have Sarah Spain on and Amy Trask, who was a part of the Raiders organization. Uh, Amy, of course, is now on that other pregame show on CBS Sports Network. And uh, watch Peggy's show. She definitely has some great guests on there. So uh, we uh, definitely want. We don't, uh, we're just not our own island here on the double A uh, uh, team here for the Barroom Network. We always like to prompt other shows as well. Uh, Stephen, let's bring in our first guest tonight. All right. Uh, as you mentioned, a former talk show host uh, in Dallas with ESPN Dallas, now a, uh, a host with the, uh, the YouTube's uh, chat sports covering the Bears, Chiefs, among others, Harrison Graham. Thank you so much for coming on, Harrison. How are you tonight? Hey, I'm doing good. Uh, how are you guys doing tonight? We're doing well. You know, obviously you're busy uh, now, just like us on YouTube, but you've been doing it for a long time with the chat sports on YouTube. Uh, tell us about the chat sports and how it started. Yeah. So chat sports, I can't remember the year it was founded. I want to say 2015, but initially it was kind of founded uh, primarily as an app that you can download on your phone as kind of a aggregated website where you could just search your favorite team and, you know, say you want to search the Chicago Bears and there would be articles from ESPN, Bleacher Report, CBS Sports. You could also get score alerts as well. And then in 2017, 2018, started to shift uh, to live and on-demand programming, initially more so on Facebook, but in 2018 and into 2019, a heavier emphasis on YouTube. And that's really been our heavy focus uh, the past three years or so, I would say. And uh, it started with 
our main chat sports channel, which is closing in on 300,000 subscribers. Now we're 25 or 26 channels deep, uh, team-specific channels across the NFL, the NBA, and a couple, a couple of college football channels as well. Uh, with a focus on you know deep analysis and entertainment on those specific teams, and then broader league coverage on the NFL, NBA, and college football on our uh, on our main channel. So that's kind of where we're sitting now, and uh, you know we're continuing to grow and add channels all the time. So it's it's been pretty exciting to be a part of it. Larson, I know that you're a former talk show host as well in, in Dallas. You mentioned that at, or yeah. just before the break. Um, are you busier now than, than you've ever been uh, after, after uh, losing your job over uh, over it uh, uh, for the uh, radio station? Are you busier now running the running the YouTube channel? Yeah, I definitely am because you know technically that was just a part time gig for me. Uh, Stephen can probably attest to a little bit of it. I, I, I believe we met a couple of times. Uh, out on a remote broadcast. I remember one specifically I was doing a show with DJ Ringenberg, who I think you're familiar with. Um, yes. But uh, uh, I can't, where was that? Archer Mart, maybe. I think we ran across you one time. I can't remember where it was. But yeah, um, maybe two bars grill up in Plano. Yeah, you know, yeah, for, maybe, football, yeah, for fu- yeah. the firing line. Yeah, I, I, yes, that sir. may have been another time as well. But uh, Anyway, yeah. So I, you know, my main gig there was I was kind of a part-time host. I had my, I had a show on Saturdays that I used to do, and then, yes. you know, I would do fill-in work during the week, uh, do some weeknight hosting as well. So I'd say on average, you know, I was probably working, you know, twenty to thirty hours a week there, and uh, you know, I'm probably working between fifty and sixty now. This being a full-time gig, because you know, we're still very much in that. I would you know, startup category where, you know, our staff is growing and we're growing pretty fast, but, you know, we're still a 15, 16 person team. It's not like we have 50 employees or something like that. So uh, definitely put in a lot more hours, but uh, it's definitely a rewarding job uh, that uh, uh, I've been uh, able to uh, experience because the growth has been uh, tremendous the last couple of years. And the oh, thing is, when you, when you're your own boss, there's no days off, as as as, yeah. as we all know. But uh, you almost find that the the fact that, that first of all, you're you're covering sports, you're covering the NFL, the NBA, and college. It, it's you, sometimes you just don't feel like it's work. Exactly. I mean, I I talk about it all the time with buddies, my wife, etc. That sure, I could make you know probably similar money, maybe even better in certain. Um, other nine to five type of jobs, but I'm just not really built to sit on a desk all day uh, and and do that. Uh, There's certainly pros to that. It's more of a standard schedule, obviously, but uh, the thrill I get uh, covering uh, professional and college sports is uh, just, uh, just something that uh, I really enjoy. So uh, it's, uh, you know, at times you're like, Oh man, this is a really long 10, 11 hour day, but you know, for the most part, it's very rewarding and uh, it's a lot of fun, especially when you uh, see the type of games we saw yesterday and get to break those down. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I believe the uh, the station you were working for, ESPN Dallas, seized its operation, what, back in uh, 2020, October? October of 2020. Yeah. So, yeah, still uh, the early pandemic times. So. Yeah. So, I, I won't get into too many details there, but basically, um, Cumulus. I wanted to ask you. Sorry, I wanted to ask you. What do you remember the most about being told that the you know station seized its operation, and how how does one person? Obviously, you said you were part time compared to the other. Yeah, people. yeah. So you know, I was you definitely a, something like that. Yeah, I, you know, I was definitely on one of 
I was one of the heavier part-timers as, you know, one of the guys who actually, you know, had a decent amount of on-air time. So, I mean, they basically got us on a Zoom call in that August and we're like, uh, they being my bosses at Cumulus and we're like, our contract with ESPN is up and we could not come to an agreement. So in October, uh, the contract ends and uh, all the local employees uh, will be let go and uh, national programming will uh, take over. And it's been ESPN national on 103.3 in Dallas for over a year now, which it's crazy to me considering we're in a top five market uh, and we don't have yeah. a local uh, ESPN station, but uh, you know, couldn't come to an agreement. And uh, Steven, as you know, the ticket and uh, the fan very much uh, run, uh, run the airwaves here. They, they crush it in the ratings and, you know, we were a pretty distant third. And so Cumulus wanted uh, some changes. I'm not sure quite what ESPN said no. And so uh, no new agreement was met. So it was definitely a shock factor, but I was already part-time at Chat Sports at that time, or I was, I may have just converted to full-time and still doing was my Saturday show. I'm not sure. So for me, it wasn't as big of a blow because I had kind of figured something else out, but obviously for, you know, especially the full-time on-air guys and stuff, that's a, that's a big adjustment that they had to deal with. So. Having been a part of radio myself, Harrison, and 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 uh, been in the early days of Clear Channel and 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 seeing the rise in, and of, of Cumulus and all this, it I hate to see uh, local local people lose their jobs, especially yeah. in the, in this era and where especially Dallas is such a big market and people love to talk about one thing and that's the Cowboys. Uh, yeah. There's always room. I always feel. I mean, yeah, they're 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 going to be heavy hitters for sports, like as you mentioned. Uh, the, the two big the two big heavy hitters that you had there but you always want to have an alternative and it's competition is always good for sports radio and uh you know I, I I hate I hate to hear that that people lost their jobs but but very fortunate for you that you had something else in, in on the back burner yeah I mean exactly I I was fortunate uh you know I've been able to kind of take this challenge on head on and uh I've found a lot of personal growth and obviously company growth with chat sports that's been nice uh it is unfortunate I think there's always going to be a place for local radio because uh I just think diehard sports fans like being able to connect to the people uh they listen to so I think there's always going to be a place for it but you know radio's kind of at a place right now where these stations you either you either adapt or you die i mean that's exactly. that's just kind of how it goes you have to embrace uh streaming side of it online aspects uh, i know the fan for example has embraced a lot of some youtube and like some twitch streaming stuff as well um and i think those are things you have to do um to uh to really continue to excel uh, on the radio side of things so Okay, let's switch subject and talk about the, um, you know, the reason why we brought you here about the the Bears' current uh, GM and head coaching search right now. It's been very, very elaborate, and and I yep. do believe it's somewhat finally winding down uh, of all the reports that we are reading. What yeah. is your um, uh, impression of this uh, elaborate search so far? So, as a person who obviously has not covered this team my entire life I you know I really spent some time to kind of look back at kind of how the past several searches have gone specifically under George McCaskey since he's been the chairman and 
I thought Adam Johns of The Athletic, I think him and Fishbane had an excellent article a week or two ago, which yeah. I don't know if you guys read this, but basically yeah. outlining how every search has gone since McCaskey has been in charge and how they've never been able to align the head coach, the GM, and the quarterback, which those are kind of three components you got to have on the same page. And so I, I did some research on that. And what I will say, what I've found while this search is still ongoing, and we can certainly talk about kind of the latest, and we'll do that, I'm sure, is that I think they've had a better approach this time around. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to hire the right GM or the right head coach. We won't know that for at least two years, realistically. Um, but wider cast of candidates more names. At least they got a guy like Bill Polian in the building. Who's a hall of fame executive. He's, you know, he's a, he's, he's an older guy. He hasn't been, sure, sure, you know, sure. in a front office in a while, but I'd rather have a guy like that in there than George and Ted Phillips running the charge. Um, <laughs> so, you know, wide net over 10 head coaches have interviewed over 15 GMs have interviewed a lot of buzz just in the last couple hours. You guys have been doing the show. I don't know if you've seen anything, but it kind of sounds like, they're starting to get some separation with these GM candidates. We, which yes. we can certainly talk about here. Um, and I think that's going to be important because I still think you need to get a GM first because yeah. I, I want them to pick a GM. And then if that guy has some other coach names, they should interview those people too for the head coach, because these arranged marriages that they've tried in the past, like the John Fox and, and Ryan Pace, Literally, I mean, that that, art, that article, I believe, outlined this, that they hire John Fox or they, they hire Ryan Pace and he's like, hey, John Fox is here. Go interview him. I mean, it's just like that's bad. No. processing. So You can't do that again. So I think you're going to see by Wednesday or Thursday of this week, a GM is going to be in place that that's kind of how it feels. Mm -hmm. um, Ryan Poles has a second interview tomorrow. I think that's big. I think they really like him. If he has a great interview, they might just roll with him. Rocco yeah. Brown interviewed today. I think he's a top candidate. So I mm -hmm. think you're finally starting to see the tea leaves here of, okay, they're going to narrow in on a GM and then really kind of take that next step in the coaching search as well. Right. A couple of other names that I'm reading are Elliot Wolf, obviously yes. the son of uh, legendary uh, Packers uh, GM and executive Ron Wolf. Yep. And uh, Monty Austinford, the uh, uh, director yeah. of personnel with the uh, Titans, and then also yep. long ex extensive history uh, with the uh, the Patriots as well. So, and then I think Omar Khan was the executive vice president with the yeah. Steelers, who apparently yeah. rumored to be lost his uh, spot to be a successor to Kevin Colbert, the GM yes. who is retiring, I believe. Um, is interviewing tonight, or at least interviewed today late. So they were, yeah. They, he 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 interviewed today, yeah, and that yes. interview is already completed. Yep. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, me we might see probably four or maybe five finalists for the second interview. So if you if you're going to really hire a general manager and then you know pair up with the head coach immediately, you definitely have to have a quick interview. The second interview, obviously, is the final one. Yeah, and I don't know if you follow this guy, this Jeff Hughes, the Bears blog. He's yeah, really <laughs> I do, I do. He's, he, you know, I know he's a very, um, 
Yeah, I've never he met, has I've never his, uh, fans, and you know he has his enemies. Yeah, you know he's uh, people have opinions on him, but he seems to be all over this search. I mean, right. he 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 had it first that Pace and Nagy were both going to get fired, whereas you know other people said it's 50-50 with Pace, and he said no, he's gone. Trust me, and, and he was right on that. He seems to be on the spot here with the coaching search. The national narrative is that Leslie Frazier's a top coach candidate. He says they are yes. not. Um, I would personally hate that by the way, but with the, oh with the gosh. G with the G yeah, it would be a disaster with the GM situation though. I think what you're saying is Ryan Poles, awesome for Elliot Wolf, Morocco Brown, maybe Omar Khan. Now they requested interviews for Rick Smith and Jojo Wooden, but yeah. I've heard nothing. So I don't think those interviews mm -hmm. are happening. I don't think Rick Smith is ready to jump back in. You guys may or may not remember he left right. the Texans because yes, and there's family considerations there because he's got teenagers at home. And if you're a GM, you basically have no personal life. No. I mean, you're working 18 hours a day, 365 days a year. So. I, I think he may not be ready to come back in. But if you're down to those four or five candidates, you know, you get a second interview, you should be able to do two a day starting tomorrow. You know, Thursday, you should ha have a GM. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of where you're looking. And then over the weekend and early into next week after championship Sunday, maybe your head coach is in place as well. The what list of uh, oh, sorry, I, I'm sorry. The list of head coaching candidates that I'm seeing are somewhat uh, uninspiring. Even though you know they have been doing a lot of uh, head coaching interviews along with GM interviews, and and obviously the, the one thing that we're worried about, like you mentioned, the arranged marriage, yeah. like we saw with John Fox and Ryan Pace. You hire a GM first, yeah. and, and I hope they do first and foremost, and let the GM do his job. Even though obviously Bill Polian obviously has his poll with not just with the GM heck uh, GM you know in, you know candidates, but obviously there's a reason why you're doing head coaching interviews as well. You know yeah. you let the GM do his job. That's why we failed with Ryan Pace because you try to force him to accepting John Fox. If that's yeah. the case, why the hell did you even hire Ryan Pace in the first place or anybody else to do you know? Let, let him do the job. That's I think a lot of us are so worried, you know, as a diehard Bears fans, we're repeating the same thing over again, even with the uh, Bill Polian uh, doing a good job with these, uh, you know, uh, candidate search. I, I think what it, it's twofold, right? And there's reason to be concerned because as long as George and Ted are involved, you're always going to hold your breath because he just they they haven't earned Bears fans' trust. I mean, McCaskey admitted it. He said, we're not going to sell the fans until <clears throat> until we start winning games. I mean, he, he flat out acknowledged it in his uh, pace naggy firing press conference. Uh, the reason a little more optimistic is, number one, you have to – you have to at least do some coach interviews here, even if you don't have the GM, because you can't just wait. Because if you're going to do a large, extensive search for your GM that takes a couple of weeks, which it has, well, you can't wait two, three weeks to interview a single coach. Now, you don't interview a coach once and make him your head coach. Once you pick a GM, you say, hey, we've interviewed these coaches. These were the notes we took. What are your thoughts on this? Do you want to do second interviews with any of these guys? Who is on your list? Are there any guys you like uh, that we haven't talked to? If there are, let's get those guys on the phone. And I think you can kind of cross 
cross check and, you know, uh, come up with kind of that refreshed list. At least I hope that's what they're going to do. But unless you were going to go the Giants route, which was, okay, we're going to run a sprint to get a GM, which they did with Joe Shane, and then go from there. Um, that's really the only way you could do it without interviewing coaches as well. So uh, I actually don't mind that aspect of it. But again, I want the GM to have the biggest say of the next head coach. Oh, because because yeah. that's what the structure is. George McCaskey says the GM's in charge of football. Well, then let him be in charge. Let him make the coaching yeah, hire. Like, right, and now he has to report to him now, so. Yes. It, it, yeah, exactly. Well, that's a whole different issue. Exactly. But, <laughs> um, but my, my point is, if he hire, if they hire a GM, let that GM be the main voice in the coaching hire, then I really don't have a problem with the process up to this point. I, mean, I, I hope know, the GM also has a different ideas and candidates, which I hope that the uh, the management, yes. including Bill Polian, will at least understand. And just because he has a different candidate in mind, he's like, nope. He, he we're not we're yeah. done with him. I, well, I don't want him, I don't want them doing that, you know, whatever the well, case. Well, let's be honest. If you're a GM candidate, if I'm a strong GM candidate like Ryan Poles, who was a finalist for the Giants job, is a finalist for the Vikings job, and appears to be a finalist for this job. If if I don't get yeses to the question of, hey, I get to make the the or I get final say on the head coach, I'm not taking this job. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> I've seen oh. what's happened over the last decade. I mean, that's, you know, so I think certain GM candidates might be picky. It's possible Ed Dodds pulled out because he didn't like the structure. Now, he's done that before. Uh, and, you know, there were some there there's some stories that have come out about him, how he's kind of an abrasive guy, whatever. But he was a yeah. guy I like quite a bit uh, as a candidate. So, sure. you know, we'll see. You got to be I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm also very aware that we've been <laughs> down this road is. before with the Chicago bears. So I do think it's a big week though. I think something will happen this week uh, on the GM front and we'll see on the coaching front potentially this week as well. You know, Who's your GM? Who, oh, sorry. Who do you think is a GM? If, if you had to pick one now, I did a prediction on my Jazz bears Sport. video Monday. Yeah. Um, I because uh, people in my DMs, uh, we haven't heard a prediction for you. We haven't, uh, okay, I'll make a prediction. because I hadn't done so because there's really not a ton of, until yesterday and today, a lot of you know momentum in any direction. I just took a guess, Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus as the combination. They seem to like Eberflus. Uh, I've read that Poles likes him as well. I've also read that Poles likes Brian Flores and Dan Quinn. So those are two other potential names. We read earlier today that Dan Quinn and Jim Caldwell are expected to get second interviews on the coaching yes. side. We already know that Eberflus is. So um, <laughs> I hope those aren't just the three finalists. But, uh, um, you know, I, I think Flores is an interesting name if they end up going with Poles, who, look, you get someone from the Chiefs organization, you're not going to about it. I mean, they've they've built a juggernaut there. So I think Poles would be a pretty strong <laughs> hire if, if he's the guy. Right. I think a lot of Bears are a little skittish because of the Chiefs. What happened with uh, Matt Nagy as the head coach previously? Sure. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, the name Ryan, obviously, with a P, Pace, you know. Ryan and Matt, it just, could happen. Uh, they're making it so, you know, whatever they can throw at, that they're like, ah, you know, again. So, We'll wait and see. Absolutely. You know, we're going to have to keep our fingers crossed. And obviously, you know, the, the candidates for 
GM, obviously, we should know in a few days. And then let's hope that, uh, you know, GM obviously picks the uh, the right head coach, uh, you know, hopefully more than what we are reading on the, uh, you know, the Internet right now with the candidates. I hope, Brian da- I hope Brian Dable gets a further look. It doesn't sound like <laughs> there's a lot of buzz on that front, but I think he at least should get a second interview. But Who? Just me. Brian Dable? Brian, uh, oh, Brian oh, Dable. Dable. Oh, Brian Dable. Yes, Bill's, yes, yes. Bill's I think OC. he's the number one candidate for many Bears fans right now. You know, we want offense. We saw what happened with the uh, yesterday's game. And, you know, I think a lot of questions about it's the quarterback. It's the heck, you know, the play sure. caller who – with an experience like Dabble, he can certainly, you know, a good coach obviously can adjust to his, you know, personnel, which something that Matt Nagy failed miserably. Yeah. And and we all we all know that. And we don't want repeat of the same thing happening. And then at least Brian Dabble, he worked in college with Nick Saban. He worked under Bill Belichick. And I just hope that, that he does have in him that he wants to do a second interview because he would rather work with Justin Fields than say Daniel Jones or whoever the rookie quarterback they decided to do with yeah. the uh, one of the Bears picks that the Bears gave up to the Giants for uh, Justin Fields last year. So the reason I like Dable is because I think he's learned over time and he has a ton of experience as a play caller. And you look at Josh Allen's just year by year development. I mean, sure, he's an alien. He's a freak talent. But, like, doesn't Dable deserve some credit there? I mean, he couldn't complete 50% of his passes, basically, in college. (laughs) And he's become this just superstar, you know, just mobile, strong arm. He he had all this physical talent. But I think Dable's helped rein it in and has helped give him that confidence. Sure, I mean, you got to have the talent in the first place. But I think we all feel like Fields has that type of talent. Maybe not quite to that level, but you just need the right guy. And I thought I think you made a good point. What Matt Nagy was just so bad at is that he wanted to force his scheme onto his personnel. And good coaches don't do that. They write, They understand the personnel that they have, and they build their scheme around it. And I think Dable's done exactly that. He understands that – Josh Allen's a good runner, so he runs a lot of QB power. He has a strong arm, so there's a vertical and deep crossing passing attack. And, you know, some Bears fans say, well, I don't like the fact that he doesn't run the, you know, with David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. You certainly wouldn't want to do that here. And my counter would be, well, the Bills don't have very good running backs, and their blockers aren't – they don't have a good run block uh, uh, unit up front. So I think he's understanding, hey, this is our strength, so – Let's just build it all around Josh Allen. And it's worked pretty darn well the last couple of years, I would say. So, The one thing we can say, Harrison, and we're speaking with Harrison Graham, the host, one of the hosts of uh, the, the um, Chat Sports on YouTube, and you can go to, to their channel over there on YouTube as well. At least the NFL teams are this, this time around are taking their time. They're not rushing into yeah. hires that we have seen in the past that have been made been so disastrous, especially with the Bears situation, with the forced marriage, as you talked about. We're seeing them taking their time and doing at least I'm hoping their due diligence. I mean, it seems that way, right? It's kind of crazy. We're two weeks since Black Monday, the infamous term of when coaches get fired and Eight jobs are open now, and no team has hired a head coach. I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty surprising. Sure. Um, now, a lot of top candidates out there just became fully available with the Bucks losing. You know, you've got 
Leftwich and Todd Bowles, which, by the way, Todd Bowles, I think he lost some points uh, running a, oh, yeah. a uh, cover zero blitz uh, with 20 seconds left or whatever against <laughs> the Rams. I don't know what that was all about. Uh, but Leftwich available, too. And then, of course, with uh, Nathaniel Hackett with the Packers. He's a guy that's interviewed with some teams. They're obviously out of the playoffs. Um, and then uh, also Buffalo with Dable and Frazier. Uh, as some guys who have interviewed as well. So I do think you'll see teams, uh, you'll see more movement this week and on into next week. Uh, I think all eight of these teams will have their GM coach combos in place. Not all of them have GM openings, but before the Super Bowl, for sure. I think all these, these openings will be filled. So I think in the next... You know, three to five days, you'll see a lot of movement across the NFL. Obviously, I think teams are waiting to see if Jim Harbaugh or Sean Payton are Mm -hmm. viable options. I think Harbaugh is kind of the biggest wild card right now because he's got to figure out what he wants to do, and that could play with the Bears as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that's uh, something to monitor this week. And we're going to be watching it all. And we'll be watching you, Harrison, especially. Uh, you'll be watching it all on your channels as well. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting couple of weeks heading into the Super Bowl. Yeah. Harrison Graham, uh, one of the hosts on Chatsport on YouTube. We thank you very much for uh, coming on with us. And we'll speak to you again down the road. All right, guys. Let's do it again. Appreciate it. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you. We'll see you again soon. All right. And Thanks. coming up, we'll be speaking with Ryan Sakamoto next on the AA team on the Barroom Network. Hey everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's Tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get t-shirts, you can get caps, you can get coffee mugs, you can get hoodies, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the bar room with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. Back on the double A team, we thank Harrison. Uh, we thank Harrison uh, Graham of the, the one of the hosts of Chat Sport on YouTube for being our first guest tonight on the double A team. Let's bring in our second guest. Let's bring him right on in. We continue to talk about the NFL. He is Ryan Sakamoto, uh, writer extraordinaire, also covering the NFL, joining us from the left coast in San Francisco in the Bay Area. We'll talk to him about. What's going on with the 49ers? They're in a big game, I we, we heard. And a big one, <laughs> especially. And uh, over a team in the Midwest that Stephen Nagishi really, really hates. So <laughs> out of that. And we'll talk about the big rivalry between the Niners and the Rams coming up. Ryan, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, man. Hey, Thank you, Ryan. Ryan, let's talk a little bit about the team that uh, that's in the Bay Area for you. Uh, the Niners, they seem to have the Packers number, especially in the playoffs even with a quarterback and, and, a, and a game in which they didn't play particularly well, they stepped up. The special teams did uh, did what they had to do, and they 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 played and made the plays when they had to, and uh, now they're in the NFC Championship against a team in which they also have their number as well. Right. Yeah, you hit it on the nail, and I, that's part of the analysis that I broke down going into that game is, you know, the funny thing on Twitter, and I just want to point this out because I think everybody – takes things out of context but then again they go back on their word look everyone can say jimmy garoppolo is a game manager i would be the first to tell you he's a game manager right but then when the same people say well 
wins and losses aren't part of a quarterback's record because you have an established running game, you have a strong defense. Well, then they go out and say, well, Aaron Rodgers is 0-3 against the 49ers in the playoffs. So it's kind of like you're contradicting yourself. So I just want to put that out there because, again, it does mean something. You know, I think when you have a team or you face a team in the playoffs and you lose three times going into it for the fourth time, in the back of your head, you're always wondering, can I get over the hump against this stupid team? Like, this team always beats us, and for whatever reason, it happened again. Now, you can blame whoever you want to blame for it, but like I said, like, the special teams was special, right? And it came down to special teams. The win percentage before that blocked punt was 10% by next-gen stats. So when you take that probability rate and then you double down on that with the missed field goal right before halftime, I mean, that came down to special teams. Yes, it came down to the defense, but I think the snow had a had a negative impact on the Green Bay Packers. Much, uh, I think it hurt them more than helped them because at the end of the day, you saw Devontae Adams. He really couldn't get a free release off the line of scrimmage. His footing was kind of off. And so you saw in that deep throw later in the football game, if that was on a clean surface, Devontae Adams would have at least a half a step on that boundary cornerback, and then that would possibly been a game-changing play. What happened was it was all for naught, and I think the snow conditions actually hurt the Green Bay Packers rather mm. than helped them. I don't care, oh, well, they're built for this because they played in, in the cold. Well, no, like... How many times did it snow in Green Bay? And every team has its own identity. As you guys know, you guys are the Chicago Bears. A lot of turnovers are going to happen. And so each team has its own identity. So to say that one team is built for it when they're really not because each year has its own identity, you're really missing the point of exactly what really went down in Green Bay. Exactly. And it, I mean, you take a look at the, 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 the Packers games. I don't think they – I think they had maybe about – one game that maybe snowed there during the season. So you're, you're absolutely, your, your point is very well taken, Ryan. Yeah. It's, and again, talk about and how he doubled down on those gains going into the NFC championship game. Look like I put some tweets out and, and let's, let's face it. Sean McVay is basically a quote unquote loser when it comes to facing Kyle Shanahan in his last, last six games. He's and six. That's, that's not good. And, and then when you take that, again, the same exact, hey, man, this team has my number or this coach has my number, same effect is happening. You look at NFL trends, right? We talk about rivalry renewed. Green mm -hmm. Bay Packers are your rival, right? But we all, that rivalry hasn't really been there for, for a number of years now. Um, same with the Minnesota Vikings. But when you look at the San Francisco 49ers, rivalry renewed, right? Wild card game, Dallas Cowboys, rivalry renewed. When's the last time they played? 1994. Double down on that, going into the next round, in the divisional round, rivalry renewed. Green Bay Packers, they beat the Green Bay Packers. Now, again, it's the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, rivalry renewed. This, the Los Angeles Rams, the last time they played in the NFC Championship game was back in 1989. And that year at Candlestick Park, they beat, the LA Rams at Candlestick to go on and win the Super Bowl against the Cincinnati Bengals, who are also playing in the <laughs> AFC Championship game and played them twice. So if you look throughout history, I'm very analytical about this. There's trends. I'm not saying that it's not going to happen or it is going to happen. I'm just saying look at the trends, right? So it's really interesting when you can kind of put 
pieces to a puzzle together and then kind of formulate your analysis off of that because history is history for a reason. We should learn from our history because at the end of the day, it tells us something. It tells yeah. us something. History repeats itself. Yes, we know the hearing, of course. So going into the game, were you confident at all? Or were you like, boy, this is going to be where San Francisco meet its match? I thought the Packers would win. I thought the Packers would win. I have a pregame show with Randy Cross, and it's called Don't Cross the Beast Empire. And we talked about it. Randy picked the Niners straight up. I said, you know what? It's going to come down to the final possession. Whether a Packers fan or a Niners fan, it's going to come down to the final possession. I thought at the end of the day, I thought it would be in the hands of Jimmy Garoppolo to not only get them in field goal range, I thought they had to go and get a touchdown. That was my pregame analysis is, look, we know what Jimmy can't do. He can't throw the ball. We know that. Like, he's not very consistent in throwing the ball when it counts. That's just the that's just a fact. He doesn't learn to live to play another down. My thinking was, okay, Aaron Rodgers is going to be Aaron Rodgers, which he wasn't, but I thought they were going to score late. They'd go up by four points, and then Jimmy Garoppolo would have to score a touchdown to win it. That didn't play out that way. And then <laughs> here the Niners are who – Let's face it, they were beaten in all two phases of the game outside of special teams. So in a game where people are saying, oh, the Niners got lucky, that's still a third phase of the game, and that's why they play the game. Because, again, when you look into the draft, which you guys are going to be doing, right, and you're looking for a kicker or you're looking for a long snapper, A, people laugh at drafting these guys in the 6th, 7th round, but you look at guys like, Let's take a look at Sebastian Janikowski. Would I have taken a, a kicker in the first round? No, but when you put it in, 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 in for, uh, how should I say this? for what it's worth, it really means something. I mean, Trent Baalke drafted fifth-round pick Bradley Pinion out of Clemson, and people here in the Bay Area, me being a beat writer, were all scoffing at it. Like, why would you take a punter in the fifth round? Like, you can get one off the street. But here, Bradley Pinion is still playing his career, uh, in Tampa and doing fairly well outside of the game that we just witnessed. So I think that people overlook the minute details to an NFL game. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the last thing you want to do because at the end of the day, as you guys know, you guys have Jakeem Grant. If you guys didn't have Jakeem Grant, field position would not be as good as what it is when you start your drive. So that's why I, I always tell people, look, it comes down to three phases of football. You can't have two or two and a half and expect to win. You have to win in all three phases and be sound and fundamentally sound in all three phases. That's and true. the fact is, is that the Bears fans always know about Robbie Gold and all that stuff. And, oh and here God. he is in San Francisco getting, uh, getting, getting the kick that, that, uh, that takes him to the NFC Championship. <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. I covered him during my time as a beat writer at the Niners. Good guy. He's, he's, he really is a good guy. Really cool. Really cool to talk to you. Really open and uh, good with the media. So, oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, we still miss uh, Robbie Gold. He was, uh, you know, they don't say good as gold for nothing, you know, and the Bears fans will always remember him for being a, one of the all time great Bears. Um, what is the um, future with Jimmy G? Is he playing for his position, not just with the Niners, but also with the teams that needs quarterbacks? out there like Cleveland and maybe the Giants and among others? Absolutely. I, I said it before the year began. And what I was hearing is this is the last dance. Remember during COVID, 
Chicago Bulls had that last dance on Netflix, and everyone's talking about the last dance, and then now it's talking about Aaron Rodgers' last dance, and and how this Tom, is Tom Brady's last dance now. But it was funny because John Lynch said, "Oh, we're gonna keep Jimmy Garoppolo for one more year." And so every time I would go on YouTube, I'd be like, "Oh, we have Jimmy Garoppolo for one more year, one more year." The problem that we're having now is this guy again. We're using that quarterback stat line of him. If he gets it done, if they reach the Super Bowl, that's your starting quarterback. I don't care who it is going to two Super Bowls in the last three years. How right. many quarterbacks can say that? Only Pat Mahomes, right? Right. So I'm not saying he's on Pat Mahomes' level. I'm not. I, in fact, I would say Jimmy Garoppolo, you're basically shortening your game plan because there are limitations to his game. But what I can say, he does just enough to not screw it up and you can still win with that formula. So there's no way, in my opinion, that you can roll with Trey Lance next year simply because of what Jimmy Garoppolo is doing. And if you want to talk about trade value, you know, you hear about Adam Schefter. Oh, he's just auditioning for the other 31 teams. Well, no crap. Obviously, he's doing that because if you're Jimmy Garoppolo, this is your last go around and you know it, you know, you have to go with the mindset and be mentally tough because at the end of the day, the Bay Area media, just like the Chicago media, we're all over you. We're all over you. I mean, he has so much gray and white hair on his on his head right now because of all the rumors surrounding one foot out the door. And so for him to come back and play at this high level really says and speaks volumes about who he is as a person, who he is as a professional, both on and off the football field, but more importantly, how he can maintain poise, right? From the quarterback position, both on and off, the, how he maintains his poise because let, everyone trolls him on Twitter. You guys are on Twitter. We, we see it. Like, he gets trolled all the time. And for him to just go out there and still get it done and have the team, like George Kittle, on his back, um, writing, you know, not writing him, but writing for him, like having his back, I should say, it's, it speaks volume to who he is, and I think that's going to be a huge, huge plus for a team like, I don't know, like the teams you just mentioned who may be looking for a quarterback as a stopgap or a bridge gap player. Ryan, uh, Trey Lance is supposed to be the heir apparent. Uh, I know he was in for some trick plays throughout the season to run the Wildcat, to run certain plays, but does he have that je ne sais quoi that other quarterbacks like – that the, the, the held the position for the Niners. Does he have that, that, that what you've seen so far? Uh, from what I've seen and what I've been hearing, look, he has the potential to be the best quarterback to come out of this draft class, potentially. Mm -hmm. But potential doesn't mean crap if you don't live up to the hype, right? There's a lot of players who have potential that don't live up to the hype, right? Where's Leonard Floyd? I mean, Ryan Pace was like, oh, man, we like this guy. He has a long wingspan, wingspan arm length. He has a height, weight, speed that we like off the edge. Where is he, right? He didn't do so well. That's why he's now playing for the LA Rams, right? You're like, oh, no, nah, man, we, we don't need this guy. Um, we can do better off and, and hear you guys having Robert Quinn and so forth. But potentially, yes. But I don't see enough of that potential. My man, Randy Mueller, former GM in the NFL, uh, 2000 GM of the year with the Saints, who's with the Seattle Seahawks and Miami Dolphins and worked with Sabe. He This guy knows this stuff. He was on the show. And he was told by one well-respected current GM, Trey Lance is a year away from a being away, meaning he's not even on Justin Fields' level. Mm. He's way beyond that. Because, again, if you look at the production of body of work, he only played in that one, one college game because of COVID. 
And all of a sudden, you're drafting a guy. And I talked about this before he was even drafted by the San Francisco 49ers. I said, look, when you try to, to project talent, right? Because that's what that's what our job as insider analysts are, whatever the case may be. There's different layers of the onion to really get to the core. When you take a prospect, you can look at the critical factors. You can look at the traits. But then again, you have to compare that to the level of competition, right? We have the senior bowl coming up, but Trey Lance never got the opportunity because one, he plays in the FCS and he's not facing defenses that you would face in a power five conference, Mm -hmm. let alone the SEC and then let alone the NFL level. So that's four layers right there that we're talking about. And when people say, oh, this guy's smart, he gets it. Look, he doesn't have to face a robber scheme and a cover one. He doesn't have to face a cover one with a whole player. He doesn't have to face with inverted coverages on the back end or a quarter, quarter, half coverage that you see with Nick Saban and the rules of engagement on the back end. I mean, those are layers that you really have to look into. And to be honest with you, let's face it. If he was ready, he would be starting right now because Kyle Shanahan gave him more than enough opportunities to see the sample size that he pulled from when Jimmy Garoppolo was quote unquote hurt to see yeah. what they really had. And he's just not ready. Not saying he's not going to be good. Not saying he's not going to be a Pro Bowl player. But give me Justin Fields over Trey Lance right now. Any day of the week. I like mm-hmm. Justin Fields, by the way. He's a great player. Well, you covered the Bears also on your uh, website as well. And I also wanted to touch bases about the, the current Bears uh, GM and head coaching search right now. We had Harrison Graham from Chat Sport earlier. He said that the uh, the current extensive search is uh, he like what what he's seeing right now. What are your uh, thoughts on the uh, current uh, search and the uh, the current favorites that is being mentioned uh, on the uh, the internet right now? Yeah, it, it's one of those things, right? And no one wants to talk about this, but I'll talk about it because it is a problem. Uh, there's a there's two n words that we often associate ourselves or or not we should uh, not not I'm not saying like us like we associate but the NFL right the NFL there's two n words that that I'm going to talk about that no one wants to talk about it's narcissism and nepotism all right narcissism and nepotism it's not what you know it's who you know a lot of times right. so there's a lot of personal agendas within these nfl teams to protect their personal agendas because they have friends or family members and they will just get the job with an in-house you ever notice how a lot of these nfl teams are crappy at scouting players and that's why you're like oh why did they pick alex leatherwood number 17 overall that was a <laughs> i criticize these picks in real time no i'm serious and that's why no, I'm not i do afraid. believe and that's and this is why I'm not afraid to put my beast analysis or, or, or out there because again, if you're more right than wrong, people are going to gravitate toward. It. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but again, if I can do it, so can you. Like, there's a lot of people. I'm not the only one, but yet I'm not the one in those positions to make those power play moves. So sure. when you look at it from an internet standpoint, and we Google search anything, right? There are names that I like. All right. So if you're talking about the Chicago Bears, right? Duh, Bears. Uh, which by the way. Uh, Gail Sayers, Gail Sayers is one of my favorite all-time players. Um, I think he's a beast. But um, look at it for what it's worth, right? You look at guys like Omar Khan from the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Because GM Kevin Colbert is now retiring, just like Dave Gettleman from the New York Giants. Right. So you see a lot of you see a, now a new era, right? People are turning the page, so to speak. Organizations are turning that page. Omar Khan is a is a number cruncher. And he would be a good find for what the Chicago Bears or any franchise would like to do. I like him. Uh, another name is Brandon Hunt. All right. He's the vice president of player personnel with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think he would be 
a good guy to go after. Adam Peters, and this is biased, but Adam Peters from the San Francisco 49ers would be a really nice pickup. I, I really think he's in line. He came from the uh, Denver Broncos previously. He would be a good guy to get a GM position. Uh, some, some name that's not talked about yet, or I haven't heard, is Thomas Dimitrov. Remember? For, the, yeah, the Falcons GM, formerly Falcons GM. There you go. Scott Pioli. I yep. like these guys. Uh, Darren Mogi. I like. Uh, so there's a lot of guys out there. And Darren Mogi went to San Diego State, so I got to give my Aztec a shout out. <laughs> but uh, bias, right? But hey, these guys are really good at their jobs. And I think all of these names should be in line for a GM search. Now, you cannot go into it. And that's why the power struggle is so apparent. Look, I worked with Jim Harbaugh, right? So now we're transitioning into the GM coaching dynamic, all right? And I covered Jim Harbaugh. I covered Trent Balk. It, it was, the, I'm telling you, it was toxic going into work every single day. Going into the office and just seeing the toxicity. I mean, it's bad. I was always the first one in and one of the last ones out on, on numerous occasions. I'd seen a lot of stuff. All right, I never reported. There's a lot of stuff that goes down when there's a rift between GM and head coach. So that's why I think it's very important to select the GM first. Because then he will have say in personnel decisions. If you do it the other way around, unless you're a Sean Payton, I would say stay off. Because even if I love Jim Harbaugh, Jim, Jim if you're watching this, but there's going to be a power struggle. He's going to want some players drafted. But the GM's going to say, you know what? We did the legwork during the season while you were on the field. Our our scouting department, our personnel department knows what we're doing to crunch the numbers, to make it work, to feel the best team possible for us to be in the best position to make plays for the personnel that we need. We need this guy. Well, no, nah, man, I, I want this guy. There's a power struggle there. So if you select the head coach first before the GM, you're going to have a power struggle like you see with Matt Rule. Right. Marty Herney was gone. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so you see the dynamic there. And that's why I think before we go ahead and talking about who would be a nice fit for a head coaching position, let's go ahead and solidify the GM and front office first in that scouting department. Because let's be honest, teams are built through the draft and you complement those players by going into free agency, not overpaying in free agency for players that, you know, they're going to be playing a price at its peak. Right, it's like buying a stock at its high. Why would you want to do that? You wouldn't. You want to find value where you can, and hopefully you can build through the draft. So that's why I think if you're looking at a guy like Jim Harbaugh, who's gonna want probably want personnel say. I mean, yeah. let's be honest, he's not gonna go and be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna let the next GM pick all my players for me." He's gonna be like, "No, nah, man, I just came from Michigan. I know who I faced against. I want this guy." Right. Right. That's what's gonna happen, and and so to some effect, my opinion. Well, time will tell how that plays out. But I think Jim Harbaugh would be a great, great pickup for you guys because the guy wins. At the end of the day, that's all we care about, wins and losses. The guy's a winner. And so if you can get Jim Harbaugh before a GM, it only works if that dynamic is is able to have that power struggle to where there's an understanding. Hey, look, okay, you can pick the offensive guys. We'll pick the defensive guys or whatever the case may be. But – it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And it's like that. what you see, especially what you cover, John Lynch came in and says, look, I want to bring in Kyle Shanahan, and it's worked out very well. And they, it's, it's, as you mentioned, they're on the verge of go, going to a, perhaps a second Super Bowl uh, after their very first one. So you see how well they work in concert with each other. Right. 
Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So Ken is a Browns fan, and uh, you, you you covered the Steelers on your website as well, so you probably know a little bit about the Browns. Um, they had a very disappointing season. Obviously, Kevin Stefanski has some uh, uh, work to do this offseason. What are your thoughts on the Browns this past year, and uh, what do they have to do besides obviously maybe bringing in another quarterback to put – Mayfield in competition. What do you, what do the Browns need to do next year? It, that's a great question, right? And that's kind of uh, again peeling back layers of the onion to get to the core. I don't cover. I cover all thirty-two NFL teams. I grade every single snap of a lot of the different teams. I'm like your one, your one-stop shop, like a PFF, but I just do it myself. Um, so when you look at the Cleveland Browns. They're built for the run, right? I just voted Nick Chubb for the Pro Football Writers Association as a first-team All-Pro, and he got in. So you look at Joe Batonio, same thing, right? So you have the team built from the inside out, not the outside in, which is very important. I think Andrew Barry's doing a fantastic job in building the team from the inside out, not the outside in. Baker Mayfield, to me, is a player who you live and die with the results. And... They've been dying by the results because he's been proven time and time again that he has these inconsistencies in his game. Mm. When you're going into the playoffs, you can't have that. You need to go into the game knowing, hey, my quarterback is not going to throw an interception and double coverage. My quarterback is not going to try to live to play another down and have a forced fumble, and then the other team gets good field position and they kick a field goal or whatever. There's a 10-point swing, whatever the case may be. Momentum changer. So when you have guy behind center like a Baker Mayfield, you're really taking on the risk of, man, is this guy really the answer? Because you can't blame it on the offensive line. They have one of the best offensive lines in all of football. Yep. So you can't blame it on the offensive line. You can't blame it on Odell Beckham Jr. because he's not even there anymore. <laughs> you have Jarvis Landry there, but okay. But what else? What are you actually doing? Like for me, I would try to move Baker Mayfield and try to get something in return. Now, if – now, there, there's going to be some kind of value there because I don't know what that value is. But again, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's some scout out there and says, you know what? We want, we were really high on Baker Mill. He was graded at 95 out of 100. And I really like this guy. And what I heard great things from the Cleveland Browns organization. And so we should try to make a move. This happens all the time, by the way. There's always that one guy. I'm serious. There's always that one guy that says, oh, man, like, no, nah, we, we, we should really make take a risk on this guy. And, and then the rest guys are like, okay. And like, if you're in a higher enough position, they will go ahead and pull the trigger. I'm not saying Baker Mayfield's going anywhere, but if I was a Cleveland Browns and Andrew Barry, I'd definitely be looking for an alternative plan B because we have seen it time and time again that Baker Mayfield is so inconsistent. Uh, you know, you're 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 100% on as as a Browns fan, as someone who has lost many body parts to the Brown quarterbacks for since Browns 2.0 came in in 1998, Ryan. I, 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 I hear you're absolutely 100% spot on. We definitely need another quarterback. <laughs> Absolutely. Is Jimmy G the answer in your opinion? I don't think he's the answer. I'll be 100%, 100%. I don't think he's the answer, but I think he does give them the best chance to win today. So it's a, it's a two pronged question. He's the best. It's like the guy you go to work with, right? Like, What's is the grass always greener on the other side? We have this fresh guy coming out of college, but he doesn't even know, you know, C plus plus. If you're talking about coding, right? This guy doesn't know crap. Like what the hell? Like you should. That's a given. Like you should know that crap, dude. Like 
<laughs> I'm not going to throw you in. Oh, but I know how to do this. And it's like, oh, that's pretty interesting. But you don't know the basics yet. So <laughs> I think Jimmy Garoppolo gives them the best chance to win today. But when you talk about a two to three year outlook, that's why they drafted Trey Lance because Jimmy Garoppolo basically shrinks down their playbook to four or five plays outside of his inside zone or outside zone. Right. The Bears fans, we all know with the Mitch Trubisky because uh, Nagy <laughs> had to pair the playbook so far down because uh, obviously of his uh, limitations so, so much. So um, we started this show, obviously, me and Ken, and, and I also reached out to you in the earlier um, infancy, Ryan, if you remember, because obviously of the uh, – the uh, AAPI racism uh, uh, that spiked during the COVID. You live in San Francisco, um, which has obviously been a hotbed along with New York. You're a you know Japanese American like I am, and obviously uh, living in San Francisco. Um, how do you cope with it? And then you know you know the industry as a whole, obviously, whether it's sports or entertainment. Obviously, we're still seeing you know, still somewhat skewed. And then obviously you mentioned nepotism and all the other stuff that's have uh, plagued us, you know, the uh, the lack of minority hiring in the NFL and other sports, even with the Rooney rule, doesn't seem to have really that much difference. How do you really feel about, you know, obviously with the sports that you cover and then, you know, the city that you live in and all that other crap that, uh, you know, uh, our community has dealt with? You remember when Eugene Chung said that someone told him that he wasn't the right minority i remember that yes all right well let's just say i heard the same thing but i'm not going to release who said it or what was said but i definitely know who said it yeah um not not to eugene chung but another instance that it occurred so could be two two different incidences with two different people but that's something that i heard uh during COVID. believe it or not and so I think being an Asian American, um, I'm, I'm, I'm multi-Asian, by the way. I'm, I'm Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, uh, part Native American, Sicilian. So I'm, I'm a lot of different things. Um, but it, 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 it's concerning. It's very concerning because if you look in, in the NFL, right, how many people in the NFL media are Asian American? Not many. Right? No. I mean, we can count them on one hand. Yeah. Honestly, off the top of our heads, really, truthfully. Uh, right? Michael so Yam, that one person I can think of, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, my boy Mike Mike Yam, right? Yammer from NFL Net Network. He's an anchor for them. Uh, does a really <laughs> good job, right? But there's not too many of us, right? So Mike yeah. Mike Yam, me, um, Tim Kawakami. Yep, right. Uh, from the Athletic. Uh, yeah, because he's from Chicago, right? Isn't Tim from – didn't Tim go to Chicago? I don't know. But didn't he grow up in – I thought he grew up in Chicago. Or he, oh, okay. maybe not grew up in Chicago. I thought he went to school there or something. I thought he had ties to Chicago somewhere. But anyways, there's only a few of us, right? Yes. And so um, – and a few others. Uh, but I, I can't I can't think of off the top of my head. But it's it's really concerning because we are just as qualified as, as any other, right? But again, it comes down to – you know, the whole Asian American Pacific Islander, the, the hate is real. Like, it's real. Like, I remember when I first started, right? True story. I first started uh, going to these, uh, to training camp, right? Getting in with the San Francisco 49ers. And you just feel, I, the, the, there's a few people that you just felt the vibe like you don't belong. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It's kind of like the same feeling when you go into like, like a different, a different uh, city, 
that's like racist and all eyes are on you and you just feel that vibe you don't have to say anything but body language and eyes on you yeah they they kind of push you out without trying to push you out does that make sense so mm -hmm. i seen i seen that um during my time covering the nfl you know and not too many people talk about that but because there's few of us in it, right? So you have to really earn your stripes and you really have to prove yourself that you belong. Not only do you belong, but you're better than these people. Look, I, I will put my stuff against anyone. And that's how I went in going with it. I didn't, I didn't, you know, kiss butt. I did, I did things the, the hard way, work my way up organically, right? Work ethic, hustle and grind. Like I said, first one in, last, last one out. And these are things that was instilled to me by my family, right? By my parents. It's all how you're raised. And so I was always taught, you know, like, you know what? Like they're just, they're just because you're different. Some people are going to view you as different, but it's your job because you're in it now to make the Asian American community proud by going out and sticking to your gun and saying, you know what? I belong. I'm going to get this right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Not because for any other reason, then if you doubt me, I'm going to prove you wrong. It's that beast mentality that I always had as a kid growing up. And again, I'm not the tallest guy. I mean, let's face it. Most Asian Americans are not tall. We're short. You know, I'm only five foot five. You can't tell, but I'm short. Like I'm vertically challenged, bro. But again, when you try to challenge me, right. And, and, and say, I can't do, or I can or cannot do something. I'm going to prove you wrong 110%. And I will make you look dumb. And so I think, that's what we need to do for anyone who's listening is, look, you're always going to have those haters. You're always going to have those doubters for whatever reason may be, whatever the reason may be. But if you really believe in what you're trying to accomplish and you have the passion, dedication and drive and work ethic, you're going to get to where you want to be. You're going to get there. It doesn't matter what others think about you, because if they're looking at you, they're looking at you for a reason. And that means that you're doing something right. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Ryan Sakamoto's uh, joining us and uh, he has, a, he covers the uh, San Francisco 49ers has his own show on YouTube uh, beast Twitter. As you can see there, his handle um, great stuff as always. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the NFC championship. Um, as we talked a little bit earlier, the Niners have the Rams number. Uh, Kyle Shanahan seems to outcoach uh, Sean McVay in, in all the matchups that they've had so far. Um, how do you see this game coming up uh, on Sunday? You know, it's funny. I was at the gym today. Um, for the if you guys don't know, like I compete, like I bodybuild for a living. That's like part of my other nine to five. So I'm actually going for my pro card right now. Um, so I was actually at the gym, and literally my cousin's like, "Who's gonna win? Rams or Niners? Rams or Niners?" I was like, "Dude, I don't know, man." I was like, "Well, let me th let me throw some stats for you." And I, I provided some for you guys earlier. Uh, the divisional game between in the NFC has seen six divisional games since 1970 between two common opponents within the division. The home team won five of those games. So there's a five and one home team record. The problem <laughs> is that's kind of skewed because the Niners travel. And if you guys, I don't know if you guys have been searching the right. internet, but they've been trying to block tickets and then Ticketmaster all of a sudden today took that down and said, no, right. anyone can get it. So is this really a away game or a home game? That's number one. Number two, again, we talked about how Sean McVay is basically a loser against the San Francisco 49ers for the last six games. That's something to look forward to. When you talk about scheme and you talk about 
how one team is going to attack the other. Look, it comes down to strength versus weaknesses. The 49ers defensive front, front four is getting home and getting home early. They don't have to bring a blitz. And the Rams offensive line, whenever they face the San Francisco 49ers, the offensive line has is, is gone to crap. Like, they're not very good. Brian Allen's not very good, and he's a center. He gets pushed back five, seven yards off the line of scrimmage every single time. I mean, you have Eric Armstead that moved from defensive end to defensive tackle. That's why the defense is doing so well. He's a big part of that. But aside from that, Nick Bosa, right, screaming off the edge. Arden yep. Key's getting his. And, again, we can name drop players off of a roster any day of the week. But when you can get down organically with a front four and get home early, it doesn't matter what kind of weapons you have on the outside because you're not going to make the proper reads or have enough time to make those proper reads. On the flip side of that, the Rams, they're built for this too. I mean, they traded for Matthew Stafford. They traded for Von Miller. They traded for all these weapons like Odell Beckham Jr., right? And so if you're built to win in the playoffs and you purposely went into the season for this exact moment and you fold, that says a lot that you invested all in. And again, they don't have draft picks. They don't have first round draft picks. You, right. you invested all in for this moment and you still can't beat the San Francisco 49ers that you face three times. So if I was a betting man, I would take the 49ers because until you prove me wrong, Los Angeles Rams, I don't see you're going to win this ball game because at the end of the day, it's a mismatch nightmare. And the Niners are the hottest team in the NFL. I don't think any team in the AFC or the NFC wants to face the 49ers because they're peaking at the right moment. So when you have that and you put that together and it's backed up by a strong defense, backed up by a strong running game that's going to chew up clock time, keeping opposing offenses off the football field, the defense is going to get tired on the other side and it's going to be a game of Catch me if you can. As long as Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't screw it up <laughs> and throw two interceptions or some crazy – that's the wild card. Every yeah, game that's is like – That's actually true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. He so had some I, terrible I think, throws in the Packers game. That was so scary watching it, you know. <laughs> so. the Packer, yeah, the Packers should have won that game. They, but oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think I think the Niners are going to win this game. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with the Niners. I think they're going to okay. win probably 23 to 20. Ooh, oh, okay. okay, baby. Another uh, Robbie Gold uh, game winner there, huh? There you go. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so before we let you go, we were having conversations with the Harrison earlier about the Bears GM head coaching. You mentioned Omar Khan. We don't know how the interview went. Um, let's just say if Omar doesn't make the, the finalist, uh, unfortunately, the names we're hearing are Elliot Wolf, the son of, uh, you know, former legendary uh, executive Ron Wolf, obviously the nepotism there. Monty Austin Fort, uh, the former Patriots and now Titans executive. Ryan Poles, the Chiefs uh, play, director of player personnel. And uh, uh, Morocco Brown, who has ties with the, uh, the Bears in the early 2000s. Uh, what do you know about all these four men, if you know? And if you had to pick out of those, who do you think would be the favorite? I think Elliot Wolf would be the favorite. Oh, okay. That's a pretty juicy, uh, juicy headline. You know, uh, former Packer executive coming to work for the Bears and uh, kick the Packers' ass or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I think Elliot Wolf would be a, would be. A, yeah, I mean, look, the reaction you guys got out of it was oh, right. Right, because, you, uh, you know, he said, you know, he left the Packers. He didn't get picked for the Packers job, obviously. You know, certainly nepotism didn't play a role there. 
Uh, he went to the Browns and then the Patriots. He took a hard road. So obviously uh, it's an interesting choice. You know, I, I know a lot of fans, myself included, we'd be, uh, you know, like, yay. Or, you know, people be like this, no matter who we pick, you know, whether it's a GM or head coach for that matter. I would like to see Thomas Dimitrov. I really think I really I like Thomas Dimitrov. I I just think he should be a GM. There's a lot of GMs out there though who are horrible. I think Thomas Dimitrov is one of the better ones. I really do. So, yeah. <laughs> well, Ryan Sakamoto. This is some of the stuff that you get on his YouTube channel and on his Twitter page. Um, fascinating stuff, uh, Ryan. We thank you so much for for joining us tonight. And also talking about the experience of being a member of the AAIPI community, especially in the Bay Area and coming into the NFL. We appreciate it. We thank you for coming on and we'll definitely have you on again. Thank you so thank much you, for Ryan. having me, guys. You guys uh, are awesome. And uh, anytime you guys want me back, um, I'm all I'm all for you guys. We definitely, definitely want to be back. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank and you. Th thank you, Ryan. And uh, the double A team will wrap up uh, the segment as we'll talk about the uh, – are the the weekend in the NFL, which was absolutely fantastic. We'll talk about that coming up next on the Double A team. I listened on talk radio today, and people, well, they got to bring in a football czar over the general manager. Well, then the general manager isn't the general manager, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, then your football czar is the GM, and now you're paying two people to do the exact same thing. <laughs> hey, when I worked there. Jerry was the general manager. Mm -hmm. I ran the college scouting. Bobby DePaul ran the pro scouting. We didn't have a director of player personnel. Mm -hmm. We kept it simple. And the pro scouts didn't get involved in college. I did get involved in some pro, and it's only if, if you know, they want another opinion on a guy we may sign as free agency. And I'd watch tape, and, and it was only if it was asked to me. You know, have, have that football czar. That is not going to do a damn thing on the playing field. It's going to cost you another few million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. And it might make talk radio feel a little better. Oh, they got a football player. It doesn't mean shit. Mm -hmm. Okay, get the right guy but hold the GM job. Back on the double A team, and we thank our guests Harrison Graham and Ryan Sakamoto talking about the uh, the NFL and uh, the Bears GM search, and uh, and also talking about uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Stephen, some great stuff from both of them tonight. Oh, it was tremendous. Uh, you know, Harrison obviously brought some knowledge as a uh, you uh, you know chat sport uh, host. I think a lot of people. Uh, follow him and uh, if they haven't already they should follow him for the uh, daily bears report on youtube and uh i tell you ryan was terrific he brought so much knowledge uh from having worked inside the 49ers and uh also brought tremendous enthusiasm and uh, i i hope that the bears fans will uh, follow him for uh not just the uh, the 49ers and uh bears on his uh, uh twitter and uh, youtube channel going forward yeah. Yeah, Ryan definitely brought the heat tonight, and we appreciate. We always appreciate people who bring heat. Uh, <laughs> I think any show appreciates guests that bring heat uh, on the on their show. Uh, Stephen, um, what a fantastic weekend in the NFL uh, for the uh, playoffs, a divisional weekend. Uh, all four games, walk off wins. 
three road teams uh, coming in. Buffalo should have won, with the exception of some mental laps of not squib-kicking the, the kickoff with 13 seconds left, allowing um, Patrick Mahomes two passes <laughs> to get down from the 25-yard line all the way down to the opposite 25 to get a kick, 35. Um, other than that, it would have been four road teams to win. Uh, and I don't think we've ever had that four-road team sweep no. the divisional playoff weekend. But uh, what a fantastic weekend, and it's the reason why we love the NFL so much. Oh, absolutely. You know, the that game you're talking about in the end, it was no gimme because Harrison Buckner missed a PAT and a field goal earlier. Yep. yep. So that did cross my mind, and I'm like, oh, my God, that, that missed PAT is going to come back to haunt the uh, – you know, the Chiefs, because it would have been a two-point game instead of a three. That would have been a game winner. Yep. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't have gone to the uh, overtime. But obviously having that game go into overtime and obviously, you know, the game ended on the Chiefs' walk-off, um, it certainly leaves a lot to be desired if you're Buffalo fans. And I think a lot of people will be asking or clamoring about the uh, NFL OT rule again. Yeah, but uh, like you said, all four games were terrific. The Bengals, you know, walk off field goal by a rookie. Yep. Uh, Steve Tanny, you know, Steve Tannehill, obviously. I'm sorry, Ryan Tannehill, obviously uh, proved that uh, he's not the maybe the championship quarterback. Uh, maybe probably more close to Jimmy G level, uh, perhaps. The 49ers, Packers. Obviously, a lot of Bears fans are happy that the Packers lost. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> now we wait the um, the future of Aaron Rodgers, you know, which Packers fans are so used to it with the, uh, you know, Brett Favre uh, retiring on retiring. We shall see where he goes. Uh, you know, the Packers have a serious cap issues right now. They're over 50 plus. They have to clear 70 million just to maybe tag Devontae Adams at 20. So we shall see. You know, a lot of players, you know, without Rodgers, what's the point of sticking around playing in the uh, small market like the uh, the Packers? So there's yeah. a lot of questions that the Packers have to answer. You know, I mean, we, we the Bears can obviously, you know, cheer on about it. But, you know, the Packers obviously have won more share, of, you know, of big games than the, the Bears fans have ever experienced. And, uh, you know, the Bears have to uh, really nail their uh, GMs and uh, and the head coach search so that, that we can finally, you know, be on par with the Packers. This is a great opportunity for the Bears now. And, and even if the Packers bring back Aaron Rodgers for one more year, you know, the Bears have to slay the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. You know, that would probably make it more meaningful, I know, in the eyes of many people, but... Listen, whatever happens, Bears have to do their part and nail the, uh, the, the GM and the head coach. And, um, you know, the Rams and the, and the Tampa Bay, I thought that game would was long over. But, uh, you know, Rams shot themselves in the foot with several, um, you know, uh, fumble, fumble turnovers. You know, Brady nearly pulled it off. But, you know, obviously Todd Bowles made a questionable decision with an all-out blitz on the uh, next-to-last play. And uh, 
I think he might have killed his, uh, you know, head coaching candidacy, candidacy along with uh, Leslie Frazier. Both yeah. uh, men have uh, serious questions to ask about their decision on the, both games. So yeah. we shall see with uh, Tom Brady. You know, he sounded probably for the first time he was really thinking about retirement for for a change. And, uh, you know, Bruce Arians says he's coming back, you know, well, Arians be able to convince Tom Brady one more year, you know, we'll do this one more time. And then, uh, you know, we'll put it all in. And, uh, you know, the next week's game obviously brings a lot of intrigue. Um, 49ers Rams. I know Ryan was very, very bullish on the 49ers for very good reasons. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the Rams might pull it off because they have so much invested in it. You know, obviously playing Super Bowl in their home stadium will be a tremendous motivation. You don't need any motivation than that. Right. But, um, they, would, they would become the second team in a row to play the Super Bowl in the home stadium. Of course, Tampa Bay did that last year. Mm -hmm. uh, they had limited amount of people uh, in that game. And it looks like uh, they'll, they probably will have a full stadium if the Rams make it. I mean, the, the Super Bowl is going to have a full stadium no matter what. Um, mm -hmm. But I have a feeling that uh, there'll be more Rams fans for that game if the if L.A. manages to pull off the win in the NFC Championship. Uh, we are going to be coming back in a couple of weeks. So let's make our picks for the uh, who's going to be in the Super Bowl, Stephen, because uh, let's do that now. AFC Championship, Cincinnati, Kansas City, who do you like? Boy, uh, Mahomes versus Burrow. This is going to be a very good game. Yeah. Neither team is exactly, you know, the, doesn't have a great defense. I think it will be a high-scoring game. Whoever has the ball in the end, um, Chiefs are the, uh, the champs. So I'm going to go with Chiefs still until they can, you know, until Joe Burrow can prove otherwise. It will be a high-scoring game. Like I said, it will be probably 42-38. And then for the NFC, I'll go with the Rams. Uh, probably more of a... You know, you know, defensive struggle, 27-24 um, Rams. Ken, your pick? I'll go, uh, I'll go contrary because those are the two teams I was going to pick. So just for the sake of argument, I will go with the trilogy, the Super Bowl trilogy of Cincinnati and San Francisco. They <laughs> played twice before, both teams, uh, both times San Francisco won, and uh, we'll make our Super Bowl picks the week of the Super Bowl because that is when we will be returning. Uh, will be the Super Bowl week, and we're going to have some very fun guests for that as well. We aren't going to announce it yet because we still want to make sure we finalize everything. But Stephen's been doing yeoman's work and getting a lot of guests all, all for the AA team since we began in back in September of last year. But uh, it's going to be a fun week. It wild card weekend was horrible. Divisional weekend certainly more than made up for it. And let's hope that the championship, a uh, conference championship weekend on Sunday will be absolutely two fantastic games. And we'll, of course, handicap the Super Bowl when it comes up, Stephen. Absolutely. We'll be back on the uh, the 7th of February. And, uh, you know, we're working on a, a great guest, as always. And uh, we hope to uh, join, have you uh, come back for uh, another episode of uh, the Double A team. That's that. Absolutely. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. For Stephen Nagishi, I'm Ken Fang. For our producer and director, Aldo, uh, we'd like to thank you for all for uh, watching us tonight and uh, throughout the, the next couple of weeks and until we come back in next month. I'm Ken Fang. He's Stephen Nagishi. Thanks for watching us. We'll see you next time on the AA Team on the Barroom Network.